Hello and welcome to another year of their Giants podcast. Uh, Happy New Year to all my listeners. I hope you had joyous uh, holidays and thanks for coming back to what I hope to be the best year ever on the podcast. I am certainly starting it off with a bang. Um, Without any doubt, the most impactful bit of baseball writing, baseball analysis, I think I read last year, uh, came from today's guest, Robert Orr, who published a piece at Baseball Prospectus shortly after the World Series that really kind of expanded my mind. And I genuinely think it's going to be part of the conversations in the industry about swing decisions going forward. Um, so Robert Orr, I can't thank you enough for for taking a little time to come come on my podcast and talk about the Seeger approach with me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I, as I say, I've got needy cats around me, so we'll see how today's uh, today's uh, pod goes. Uh, one's rushing me, rubbing up against my legs right now, saying she wants to play. Uh, <laughs> you, you told me when uh, when I when I reached out to you that you'd be happy to come talk. But you didn't have uh, a lot of knowledge of uh, of, of Giants uh, organization. Do you have a baseball fandom, or are you kind of a a sport at large person? Uh, I am actually a Phillies fan, so I could tell you about Eric Miller and Carson Ragsdale, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like uh, Eric Miller. <laughs> so did I. <laughs> we'll see how Junior Marte goes, but I, I, I like I like Carson Ragsdale too, although he has unfortunately run into uh, a rash of of health issues uh, in his career. Um, uh, and, and I like the Phillies. I, I, I have a, a, a relationship with people there and I enjoy going up to the stadium. So good, good choice on your part. <laughs> but uh, but we are here today to talk about the Seager approach, which is uh, something you wrote at Baseball Prospectus. Uh, and I, one thing that's really interesting about this piece to me, I think it's one reason it caught my eye, was during the World Series, I was listening to a podcast um uh, at the athletic uh, with Grant Brisby and Andy McCullough, the round table. And they were talking about Seeger and the success he was having. And Grant, uh, who I think it's like me, who kind of looks at the numbers was talking about Seeger as a particularly patient, disciplined hitter who, you know, works walks and Andy McCullough who covered him with the Dodgers said, eh, you know, he takes walks if he's forced to, but that's not what he's up there to do. He wants to go up there and wail on a pitch. Um, and I think that that difference between how we look at his stats and who he is as a hitter uh, really caught my eye when you published your piece, which was quantifying what he does really well. So I want to just ask you kind of how this process or, originated in your mind how did you start thinking about what Corey Seager does at the plate and why that may be something special um yeah so ever since I started at baseball prospectus and analyzing hitting um grading swing decisions has kind of been like the white whale for me (laughs) like just trying to find something that's uh more detailed more accurate and tracks better with like things like improving quality of contact than just, excuse me, um, not chasing on balls outside of the zone. So um, when it came to like trying to quantify what Seager did, like I've always separated him in my mind and other hitters like him by how like ultra aggressive they are on pitches within the zone and their ability to distinguish that from stuff outside the zone, which, you know, that's kind of obvious, but like just the, the rate of aggression he has within the zone, he always leads the league in like Z swing percentage. Um, 
So I just wanted to find a way to dig into that and see like, what was he doing differently from everybody else? And that's kind of what led to to coming coming up with the metric that I ultimately ended up with. I mean, swing decisions is not the white whale for just you. That's something you hear constantly from everybody in the industry. And certainly Giants fans are very familiar with this term because Farhan's ID talks about it obsessively. And when you look at like even down to the smallest minor league free agents, you can see what their type is. Uh, and chase weight has a lot to do with it. I think we all think about how to limit chases outside the zone. One of the first kind of oh wow moments I had when I read your your first piece, quantifying the Seeger approach, was you said fairly up top, chase rate doesn't correlate particularly well to power numbers. It correlates to walks very well, but it doesn't correlate to power numbers. And that, so the Giants mantra for, for a few years now has been do damage or walk. Which suggests implicitly that if you're only hunting pitches, you can really drive and let the rest go. That the chase rate should correlate somehow to to increase power, uh, but your finding was that it didn't. Uh, can you kind of talk, walk me through that a little bit? Um, yeah, so it's kind of intuitive that like contact outside the zone would be worse than stuff over the heart of the plate, but chase rate isn't necessarily about like the contact in the zone. I think a lot of times it's about falling behind in counts and putting yourself in a situation where you have to hit a worse pitch in order not to strike out. Um, so that's why I think it doesn't track too much with, I, I used isolated slugging. Mm -hmm. I mean, a slugging percentage minus batting average as my kind of like response for quality of contact. Um, and yeah, like uh, it just didn't really track with chase and, Z-Swing actually correlated a lot more with ISO. Um, so I, I kind of went into that a little bit more uh, from there. There's there's more to it than just don't swing at balls. So that's, that's a good way to get yourself out. But it's I think that has more to do with setting yourself up to get struck out than improving quality of contact. Yeah. So, so Z-Swing, which is in-zone swing um, and O-Swing, out-of-zone swing, this is sort of traditional numbers we look at a lot. One thing I just want to get a kind of definition from you that you you talked about with Seeger is that he's ultra aggressive with hittable pitches. When you say hittable, is that like precisely the same thing as things are in the strike zone? Or is there some gray area where hittable pitches might be out and things in the zone might not be hittable? How do how does hittable kind of get defined in your mind? Um, so the way I went about it. And I'll try not to get like too technical because it was a bunch <laughs> of like stuff I did in R and I, I took like run value numbers and and mapped them over the zone by count. Um, and that kind of shifts the areas where you would have like expected like, run value to be positive. It kind of shrinks and contracts uh, and then expands depending on like the, the count that you're in. Um, like, the thinking being that you don't have to swing at something before you get to two strikes in the zone. You should only swing at something that's like center cut almost. But then once you get to two strikes, you should be swinging and almost even expand slightly outside of the zone to avoid any chance of a strikeout because it's like automatic, you know, it's a given that you'd be out. So 
Um, hittable pitches is just like whatever would have the positive value, uh, depending on the circumstances, like uh, the location of the pitch and what count it was. So, I mean, what you did exactly, I think this is uh, gory math, as Russell Carlin says, always kind of trips me up. But what you did was literally took in the StatCast era, every pitch, organized them by count and location, and then looked at positive and negative run differentials, how well uh, batters were able to create run value from specific pitches in specific areas on specific counts. Is that an accurate statement of kind of what the overall process was? Yeah, pretty much. I, I kind of like uh, groups all the pitches by coordinates, you know, the XZ pairing that they have. Um, I kind of round it off so that I would have multiples of pitches in each location because the decimals on there go like <laughs> ridiculously when you pull that data. Um, so yeah, I grouped them so that, you know, I get like a, a bunch of, of coordinates in the zone with a lot of pitches at each of them. And I just took the average and the expected, um, like the called the historical called strike percentage of those coordinates too. And I use that to figure out like, okay, this is the odds of this being called a strike. If, if it's two strikes that has a massive negative, uh, effect, if it's less than that, it's not so bad. Um, and I also took the runs on batted balls um, from those locations. Uh, See, so, you know, is this higher quality of contact here or is it lower? And yeah, I just took the average at all those coordinates. And that's how we came up with um, the little strike zone and count plot that was in that article. And, and you also took kind of what happened in the at-bats after that, I think, so that uh, it, if a guy takes a center cut fastball, for instance, and then goes on to maybe strike out at the end of the bat, that's that, that decision on that first fastball is a sort of negative run value for that hitter. Is that yeah, correct? Yeah. Because it, it transitions them into the next, uh, the next count, uh, value map or something, I guess you would count, <laughs> you would call it. Um, because of how the count changes, you know, you, you have the, the change in expectation from there. So, you know, I mean, one thing that caught my eye, and I think anybody who's a Giants fan or cares about the giant system, um, in this piece, you ultimately show the, the hitters who fare best in, in your model and the hitters who fared worse in their model. One of the guys on the bottom list, which was sort of that overly passive list, was Patrick Bailey. Uh, who you know had a really impactful year yeah. for the Giants uh, as a fielder, but he's somebody who, as I write about their system, I had been mentioning for a few years that he lets an awful lot of really good-looking fastballs go early in the count to extend accounts. And while some people think, well, that's that's good because he has a good walk rate in the minors uh when you get to the majors where it's harder to have a walk rate um because the the pitches are better, that passivity can actually get the best of you. I think that's sort of one of the things I took from your, from your piece. Um, but, but then so let me turn this around to you. Once you got through all this data, what were the key insights you had about hitting and swing decisions? Um, I think it comes down to, uh, you know, a lot of people think that making good decisions at the play is just uh, not expanding the zone, uh, taking what the pitcher gives you kind of thing. Um, I think that's 
partially correct, but the underlying phrase that uh, comes to mind with all of with when I put all this together is I think it was Ted Williams that said some, you only get one pitch to hit per at bat um, or something along those lines. And uh, my takeaway was that you, you need to be op- opportunistic when you get those pitches that are like not on the borderline of the zone. They're like a little bit more in. You don't know if you're going to get a better pitch to hit than that for the rest of the at bat. And you don't want to put yourself in a situation where you have to swing later uh, at something that might be worse. Yeah, Ted Williams said the key to hitting was get a good pitch to hit. Um, and, and and you know, it's Giants fans, I think we for many years saw one of the greatest examples of that ever, which is Barry Bonds, who, of course, is known for his huge walk rates. But he wailed on the first hittable pitch he got. And uh, in fact, his stats on at bats where he swung on the first pitch were remarkable over his career. He He knew how to take advantage of the first pitch. Um, I shouldn't step over one thing uh, that was important about Seager's approach, which is that his chase rate wasn't remarkable or isn't typically remarkable. It's around average. Um, but his he's so aggressive in zone that he still gets a good uh, that delta between in zone swing and out of zone swing. Is that still something that you look for in hitters that that there's a spread of difference between how much you're swinging in zone and how much you're swinging out of zone? Yeah, that's that's what I've always used was uh, Z minus O, and then that's that's kind of like the framework for Seager. You know, it's uh, selection skill, which is like good good takes as a percentage of your decisions, and then uh, hittable pitches taken, which is like that would be the equivalent of O swing almost, where it's uh, it's the bad one, and the difference between those those two. That ratio or that delta is uh that's the skill that makes up Seeger. So that's kind of like the zone minus chase uh delta. And it's it's not necessarily about being great at one or the other, it's about the uh the relationship that you have um between one and the other. Does does is does one or the other of those have a of greater weight? Like is it more important to not let good pitches go? than to have good takes or are they about equivalent in your mind? Um, I think the hittable pitch, hittable pitches part, uh, not letting those go by, it, it definitely has the stronger relationship with, uh, with ISO or slugging or whatever you want to look at. Um, but the addition of, um, the select the selectivity element of it is what like kind of made it better overall towards total offense because it that does correlate a little bit to walks there too you know so it's it's right. kind of like all around offense there. Now you did a follow up to that which was kind of looking at how you know the secret approach that you you called it works on a team level and it was really interesting you took two different teams the Padres and the Astros that had some sort of surface level similarities um but looked at through this lens were very different teams in that the padres have some extremely some of the most uh you know if you want to call them that passive hitters or patient hitters uh in the in the sport including of course juan soto whereas the uh, astros were much more aggressive in zone and their end results as teams uh ended up far apart even though there's a lot of similarities kind of when you just look at them on a surface level um, yeah. yeah, so can you kind of talk me through how you looked at those two teams? Um, yeah, so when I when I you know ran it by by 
teams overall, you know, summed up uh, all the individual players that I had put together. You know, it was just, uh, I looked at some of the biggest differences between, um, you know, the quote unquote Seeger uh, approach or metric that the teams had relative to how the public facing um, swing decision metrics uh, compared. And yeah, like the Astros jumped up tremendously and the Padres were the biggest fallers, if I remember right. And then that just led me to dig into it more. And um, I mean, you have guys on the Astros like uh, Altuve and Kyle Tucker are like, they're pretty close to Corey Seager's uh, philosophy on their own. They're just, you know, they pounce on whatever they're given. And then there's, it's not just Soto on the Padres. Uh, Cronenworth and Grisham were also pretty bad at this, if I remember right, where they, you know, they led baseball and walk percentage but they didn't do nearly as much damage as a lineup as talented as theirs is uh was capable of and i, th- I think part of that was down to a faulty approach i i didn't prepare you this before beforehand so you might not know the answer but do you know where the giants fell on that uh team by team uh uh look at the the inning last year i can tell you in a second let's see here they're about middle of the pack, maybe slightly below in um, the, the overall element. And bottom 10-ish in the hittable pitches taken part. So they, they were a little bit on the passive side. That, that doesn't surprise me just looking at sort of you know, swing rates, for instance, they they tend to fall in the in the bottom half, and they they're better at end zone, uh, but they they still aren't kind of up in that upper tier. It's interesting to me when you look at team wide. I know Donnie Ecker, um, who who is generally a, a a great sort of offensive thinker, gets a lot of credit both for the the Giants twenty twenty one and and the Rangers twenty twenty three. But in fact, as teams, they were very different in this. In this specific lens, the the Rangers were, I think, top three maybe in swinging end zone this year, uh, and extremely aggressive. That is not who the Giants were in 2021 when they were so successful under Ecker. So a lot of this has to do with players and and how players kind of game plan together. I think um, I do want to move to how this how your insights kind of affect player development because I think a lot of organizations, and I know for sure the Giants place a lot of emphasis with their their hitters on not chasing as a player development tool. Um, a colleague of yours just wrote a, a piece uh, in the last couple of days taking the secret approach and looking at a few teams. One of them was the Cincinnati Reds. And it was really interesting to me that um, using the secret approach, it flipped on its head some things that people uh, in prospect following have said about some of the Reds players, specifically Christian Encarnacion Strand, when he was coming up through the minors, everyone said he swings too much. He's going to, he's going to not going to be able to succeed with this approach because he just swings too much. Ellie De La Cruz, on the other hand, part of why people started getting so excited about him last year was his walk rates really went up. He'd always been an over-aggressive and he started walking more. And that's, you know, generally good because you don't want to be getting yourself out. But when this article looked at the Reds, uh, Christian Encarnacion Strand actually graded out really, really well through the Seager approach. And Ellie De La Cruz appeared to be a bit passive in the Seager approach. And that flipped on its head for both of them the kind of development storyline that had been 
following them up through the minors. I thought that was really fascinating. I mean, do you think that this is something that can start changing how we think about player development and guys in the minor leagues? Um, I think it could definitely be a tool to that could be used to um, examine guys in more detail, uh, find you know what what they need to work on um, more granularly. Um, and yeah, I, I think with with those two players in particular, um, I I if a guy makes uh, contact. Uh, quality of contact as good as Christian Encarnacion Strands is, I I want him to go out there and try to punish baseballs. Uh, don't don't swing out of your shoes. Don't hack. I mean, he kind of does chase a ton. You don't. It's not ideal, but you just need to hit it once when you're a guy like that. And uh, with Ali, I mean, the the rap on him coming up was. Um, he didn't make great decisions at the plate and he did come across as passive in this. And I think that's something I've, I've noticed with a lot of young players who have that rep is um, that they're passive. And I think that's an attempt to like improve in those areas makes them overly passive. Um, so that's, I guess, one, one different way that uh, this could be a lens for player development. And then um I forget who it was, but when I first uh, published the article, someone in my um, replied to me on on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, um, saying that the players with uh, very good selection or selectivity, um, but who watch too many pitches, that could be an area where a smart team could could look at those t- target those kinds of players, because that that indicates they have pretty good pitch recognition skills and they just aren't being aggressive enough, and that should be an area that to me at least i think you could you could you could improve on that pretty quickly that's not like you know a swing change or anything that's just hey go go get your, go get it you know what you're looking at go get it i mean it's subtle right it's 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 fine tuning you don't want to get yourself out i mean that's an important part of being a hitter but then it's so getting the right level of aggression can be a really tricky thing one guy who pops into my head uh when i'm when i'm talking to you about this is marco luciano and marco luciano last year and i saw a lot of his at bats cuz i go to all the richmond games very very clearly and intentionally was working on his approach um to lengthen at bats to see more pitches um to be more patient and there were a few results of, of of this new approach. He had never walked near as much as he did last year, but he also struck out way more last year. And you could see that in every at bat got to three two. And when it got to three two, he was often prey to good sliders in the zone. Um, so he was sort of being more passive. Now his contact was actually really really hard when he made contact. He was good, but this attempt of his to sort of be a more patient hitter did result in both more walks and much more strikeouts. And I do wonder after reading this, if he's not one of those guys who go like, say, okay, you you showed you could do this. How about we back off a little bit and go hunting more early in, in counts. And that could be better for him because obviously it's hard to, it's hard to sustain 30% strikeout rates uh, over the long haul. Right. So, I just pulled him up. I've got I've got uh, seventy seven plate appearances um, at what what is that Sacramento? 
for him, I think. He had a few, he did, he had, he had uh, about 200 and some, 250 maybe in Richmond and then about something like that in AAA because he had a hamstring thing, yeah. So I, I did run the Seager um, stuff I have on on all the minor league data that I could pull this year and I pulled him up and um, yeah, that, that looks like the approach. It actually comes out to exactly MLB average for Seager overall, but um, he is above 50% for the selection element of it and uh like 37 percent for the hittable pitches and the 50 percent above that anything above 50 percent on that i've noticed that's like really good um but you want that hittable pitches taken to be like around or below 30 percent. so yeah he's he's watching too many pitches go by probably i mean i guess one question is an obvious one but i how teachable or actionable do you think this is? I mean, these guys, these guys have data around them all the time and they are always trying to respond to it. So I would assume that if, if you could show somebody that those numbers, it is actionable uh, for hitters. I would agree, but again, it's like um, a lot of times guys improve in chase rate and things like that by just, going up there with the mindset of not swinging at all. Uh, right. like, uh, some of Jared Kelnick's improvement comes to mind there. It's like, he's not necessarily seeing pitches better as much as he's just avoiding the uh, issue altogether. And <laughs> it's hard. It's really hard, even with, um, you know, this metric or chase rate or anything to know how much is a guy seeing pitches and recognizing what he's seeing and how much is him being reluctant to pull the trigger. Um, so, you know, I, I'd have to dive in probably at pitch type specific details there. Like, I don't know if he has a particular issue with breaking balls and recognizing spin or anything like that. Um, but if, if a guy does is capable of recognizing spin and, off speed and all that, then yeah, this should be pretty actionable to attack what he's seeing more. Yeah, and Ke- Kelenic has some similarities to Luciano in that, yeah, the the spin does give him give him problems. Mm-hmm. So, with as you say, a lot of times extending at bats just puts you in a position of of striking out at the end of them because you're gonna get that pitch that you struggle with. Um, there is, so I said at the top that I think there's something here that the industry is going to start talking about, uh, which is, you know, you can't do more as an analyst than that. Um, There are, you can see hitting philosophies by looking at swing decision numbers. And and, uh, uh, Lance Brodowski, who I'm also hoping to get on the podcast soon, had a really wonderful YouTube video recently where he looked at organizational hitting philosophies in the minors based on um, a lot of metrics, um, and the one thing that jumped out to me is, for instance, the Orioles, who have been doing a fantastic job on the player development side, for sure, uh, uh, maybe better than anybody in the industry. They had they combined, I think, the highest swing rate on fastballs with one of the lowest swing rates on sliders, which is something that caught my mind. The Giants, interestingly enough, do almost the reverse in the minor leagues. They killed sliders, but they had a very, very low swing rate on fastballs and connected to that, I think 
they had very low exit velocity numbers on fastballs. And that does strike me as something that is not happening by accident. There's probably an organizational philosophy driving this, which is tends towards passivity in your in your lens. Um, I, I do wonder how we can take sort of the insights you have and start thinking about them as player development tools going forward. I, I don't know if you have if you have thought about it from from that perspective. Uh, yeah, I've given a lot of thought to like what's what's better um, for for a player or I guess even a team or organization uh, as far as like an approach to come to the plate. Because uh, I know Eno Saris has wrote it, written um, some really good pieces at the Athletic about how uh, it's becoming almost a slider first sitting sitting mm-hmm. slider is a is a thing now, uh, mm-hmm. which where it like never has been before in the history of the sport. Um, and and I looked into Austin Riley last summer, and that's basically his approach. And obviously, he's extremely good. Um, I haven't, you know, input this into into the Seeger or anything like that. Um, but it is definitely a philosophical difference and an approach you can have. I think in that video, didn't Lance also say like the Yankees? I think yeah. destroyed sliders more yeah. than anyone. Um, yeah, and it, and it makes sense because like that's the out pitch in, in baseball. And if you can if you can hit that, then it's going to be harder for hitters or uh, pitchers to strike you out and all that yeah but, i mean yeah oh, go ahead oh uh, no i just uh, i'm kind of thinking out loud but you're you're letting pitchers steal strikes on you with fastballs because it's really hard to adjust when something's coming in 10 15 miles an hour faster than you're expecting it to um yeah, it's it's funny because Lance, the first two organizations he talked about were the Mariners and the Yankees. The Yankees were a team that crushed sliders, and and the Giants were right there, literally right there with them. They had the highest organizationally uh, in the minors. They had the highest slugging rate versus sliders in the minors, and the mm-hmm. second highest expected slugging rate versus sliders. But then when you looked at their, uh, just looking at my notes I took, their, their slugging versus fastballs was in the bottom 10 in the minors. Uh, and I, and their swing rate was 20th uh, mm-hmm. against sliders. Um, the Mariners, however, had almost the exact same approach and were much more successful with it because they had the highest on base percentage in the minor leagues and the Mariners uh, again Giants fans know this the Mariners and the Giants share a lot of organizational values that's why they make a lot of really small transactions with each other Uh, and Scott Harris used to say well it's it's easy to talk to Jerry because we share some core values and I think you know this is we can see these core values when we look at the way their minor leagues approach hitting um, but I do think, you know, as, as people start thinking about some of the things you, you're writing and your colleagues are now writing, they may say, huh, there are other things to chase here uh, besides simply selectivity, because the selectivity is good to a point, but there's another gear above it. Um, so I, I guess as we I get towards the end here, I'll ask you, where, where are you going from here? Where does the Seeger approach go from here in your mind? Are you working on kind of further or expanded kind of where it's taking you yeah so one thing i would like to incorporate into this somehow and uh, i mean i've played with this a bunch and come up with dead ends but uh isn't is including in some way uh, a hitter's own 
ability to do damage, whether that be like an 80th or 90th percentile exit velocity factored mm-hmm. into um, the zone that they sh- quote unquote should be swinging into. Because, I mean, if a guy if a guy pulverizes the ball whenever he makes contact, he should probably swing more more often. But if you're I don't know, uh, Haseon Kim or something where, where your contacts maybe not like super hard, then yeah, you you should probably be a little pickier about what, what pitch you're trying to do damage on. Um, you know, Aaron Judge and Haseon Kim should not be swinging at the same pitches, I think. They should not be judged the same way. Incorporating that into the actual like gory mathematical model aspect of it is an entirely different challenge, though. So something I would like to do. I'm just not sure how to go about approaching that yet. Yeah. And as you say that, yeah, I guess it, it, it would be interesting to think about how batters exit velocity data or hit, hit quality of hit data changes with counts. Like our guys who really pulverizing the ball, their 90th percent exit velocity, is that happening early in counts uh, as opposed to, you know, two, two, three, two pitches? Like, is there a change in quality of da- uh, hit hit data there? Uh, these are all really fascinating ideas to me. And I think because this is such a holy grail, I think for the industry, you just, everybody talks about it. So having a new insight into how to do it is, is really exciting. Uh, I, I'll just leave on, on one question. We don't have a Seeger approach leaderboard <laughs> that we can go look at in Savant. If you're just a fan and you want to like eyeball how people are good at this, what would you look at? I, I think the most important part is, uh, you you could probably come up with a close proxy by like um, swing percentage on the heart of the zone pitches uh, on like a baseball savant query or something like that. That I think is the most important part of it. It is it is going it is recognizing when you're getting those pitches, you know, center cut fastballs or hangers or whatever it may be, and attacking those uh, as as much as possible. Uh, I, I think that would be a something you could look at uh, without a Seager leaderboard that would give you a decent proxy for it. And Savant does have that, uh, that swing decision mode where they, they quantify, you know, your, your plus run value and negative Mm -hmm. run value by zone. So if you looked at guys who had most of their value was by plus run in the, in the heart of the zone, you could figure that they're, they're, they're doing this well um, as opposed to guys who most of their value is by not chasing outside the zone. Exactly. That's because the not chasing value is mostly walks and that's not what we're, we're looking at here. Well, Rob, uh, I can't thank you enough for, for taking a little time to come to chat on me. I, I, I just, I just, my mind is ablaze when I when I talk about this, and I think we are going to be talking more about this. And I can't see, wait to see where you and and your colleagues uh, take some of these insights because I think it is kind of a, a spear's tip into a new way to think about the game. And uh, uh, you can't do better than that as a baseball analyst. Oh, thank you. Um, you can go follow all, all Rob's work uh, at Baseball Prospectus. Um, I don't know if you're working, uh, you're writing anywhere else at the moment. Um, you can follow him on. Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and uh, uh, actually, what is your, what did your Twitter handle? 
it's at not the Bobby Orr. Uh, because you are not the Bobby Orr. Uh, that's that's okay. right. <laughs> Only the second most notable of my name. Well, you're doing you're doing well with that. You're 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 honoring the name. Uh, and of course, everyone can follow my work at Rod sixty one or just become a, a subscriber at theirgiants.com. Uh, I will be soon off to to uh, spring training, which is always a fun time. I'm going to start rolling out my top fifty in the next couple of weeks. Uh, so it's a good time to become a subscriber if you are interested in my work. Uh, and uh, we'll be back to talk more. Uh, player development in a week on their giants podcast thanks everyone for listening thanks for, for joining me thanks for having me on